This morning we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 4 and we're reading from verses 1 to 11. 1 Peter 4, 1 to 11. Remember this is written to a church that's undergoing persecution. They're going through difficult times. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless world living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. We start with a, an encouragement from Peter to live our lives with the end in mind. Often we think, Suffering's good for you, right? It makes you a better person. It makes you, in Christian terms, more holy. But you don't need to look for very long to realise that that's just not necessarily true. Some people do grow when things are difficult. Their lives deepen. But frankly, other people become bitter and angry. It's not so much what happens to us that shapes our lives but how we respond to it. And Peter here points us to the example of Jesus. Jesus who had a focus on the end. For him, the goal of his life was to go to his death on the cross on our behalf. That was his focus. His whole life was geared towards that. In a similar way that if you, if you ever watch a an Olympic athlete doing the 100 metres. Watch where they're looking. Their eyes are just focused on the tape. Nowhere else, just the tape on where they're going. And Peter in these first verses encourages us to live a changed life in the light that one day we'll have to give account for the way we've lived. So we live a different life from those around us because we have a completely different focus, not on the now, 
but on the then. And what suffering does is it shakes us up. It pulls us out of our routines. It changes our perspective and focus if we let it. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone close to you has been bereaved and you're living in this kind of bubble, thinking about life and death and what happens. And you go to Tesco's or Sainsbury's and you think, why are all these people just going about their normal lives when there are bigger issues at stake? Now, of course, <laughs> we can't live like that all the time. But there are moments in life that focuses on what is really important. And this is a challenge to live our lives now in such a way that we won't be ashamed at the end, to live life with the end in mind. So that's how Peter starts. Then he throws us a puzzle. This verse six, this for some reason, he says, this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. I don't know if you've started reading the Bible. If you have, please start with the Gospels, not from the big, right at the beginning of the Old Testament, because it easily gets confusing. The Gospels are great. And then you start reading other bits of the Bible and you think, this is hard to get my head round. To an extent, that never stops. The more we understand, the more we see how it fits together, the more sense it makes. But there are bits like this verse, you think, what? And there are various explanations given to this. Some point us back to those enigmatic voices, verses in the last chapter. But I suspect they make more sense to a first century rabbi than us in the 21st century. Some people say, oh, it's just about preaching now to those who are spiritually dead. It's sharing our faith. Unfortunately, dead in the previous verse means dead, dead, not spiritually dead. And for Peter to have changed meaning is, is difficult to get. Some people with great confidence say, well, this means that everybody gets a second chance. That would be nice, wouldn't it? What we do in this life doesn't really matter because we get another chance in the next. Unfortunately, the passage doesn't actually say that. And it contradicts the clear teaching of scripture elsewhere. For example, in the book of Hebrews, we're told we die once and then comes judgment. It's always a good idea to let the clear bits of the Bible, the teaching that you can't possibly misunderstand, interpret the bits that are more confusing like this one. If you don't let the clear interpret the unclear and start doing it the other way around, or frankly, it's a bit weird and there are let's be honest enough weird Christians in the world that we don't really want to join them. The explanation that makes most, most sense to me is that Jesus in some way that frankly we don't really understand went and proclaimed what he'd done to those who believed in him before he was alive. People who had faith in God who trusted in God's mercy but didn't know the mechanism by which they will be forgiven. So Jesus didn't preach to them in the sense of converting them. He proclaimed what he'd done so that they'd understand what it was they put their faith in. 
Well, that's the best explanation I'm going to give you, to be honest. Let's move on to the last few verses, which are a series of practical challenges on how we should live now while we're under pressure. The first is to keep alert and sober to pray. Keep alert and sober. My experience is that people search for faith, but drift away from it. People investigate Christian faith to the point where they say, I have to believe in Jesus. I'm going to commit myself. But very few people I've met actually say, I've looked at the evidence again and I've chosen not to believe because it's not credible. What people tend to do is just drift away because they get sucked into the way of life that's all around them, living for money or focusing on sex or whatever substitute you want to put into your life to get satisfaction. People search for faith, but drift away from it. You see, faith is an active thing. It's either growing or it's fading. It's either thriving or it's just slipping away. And this is an encouragement not to be passive, not to just go with the flow, but to keep alert and sober and prayerful. And then he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love underpins everything in the Christian faith. We are loved deeply passionately, committedly by God. He loved us so much that he sent his son, not just to live in this world, but to die for us in this world. Love, God's love, underpins everything. And Peter's saying you won't go far wrong if you then pour yourself out in love for other people. You can't really go wrong by loving too much. Thirdly, we're told to be generous in hospitality. Now, I don't think Peter's trying to tell us to have plenty of dinner parties. It's not that kind of hospitality he's thinking of. This is more the hospitality of someone who drops in with a need just as you're about to settle down and read that great novel or finally watch football after several months. Sorry, some of us got excited about that. It's the unexpected arrival of someone with a need that we're told to welcome as an opportunity, not resent as an intrusion. And that strikes me as a word for our times. Plenty of need presented to us to grab hold of and share the love of God. Then we're told, fourthly, to serve using the gifts that God has given us. Me? Gifts, you might be saying. But the truth is, we are all given gifts by God. That's what we're told. There's a huge variety of gifts. Use what you have. I don't think I've got anything special, you might say. The thing is, you discover your gift often because it's what you do naturally. You're naturally hospitable. You naturally talk to people all the time and when it comes to Christian faith you share your faith. You like standing up and explaining things to people. 
And actually, you don't feel it's very impressive. It's just kind of who you are. That's the thing about gifts that God gives. They're part of who we are. And when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit gives fresh energy to who we are and we learn new things. And we're told to use these gifts to serve one another. Not to make us look good, but so that others can be blessed. And we're told to do it, and this is the final thing, we're told to do it with confidence and strength, which is, of course, very British. We tend to say, oh, dear, I'm just not very good at that. We're good at apologising. I read a wonderful letter in the Times once where someone said they really knew they'd settled into England when someone trod on their toes on the tube in London and they apologised to them. They apologised to the person who'd trodden on them. Apologies are kind of a British thing. But not here. With confidence and strength. Oh, I'm not very good at that. Just do it. Just do what God has given you to do. Do what comes naturally, but do it with the strength that God gives. Because, in case we forget, the end of all things is near. Let's learn to live now with the end in mind, so that when we stand before God, we'll look back to a life well lived.